Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Dave, we're back again. It's episode 48 of Plastic Model Mojo, and we're sneaking up on 50, man. I know. I know. We're sneaking up on two years doing this. It's uh, Oh, no it's, doubt. It's creeping up quick. Of course, then again, Christmas will be here in two months, man. Don't even think about that. I don't know. I got a lot of modeling done this time last year. We'll see what happens this year. I, I am hoping for a similar result because so, so far my year has not been as nearly as productive as last year. Well, what's going on in your model sphere? I heard you managed to make it to the show that I didn't make it to. Yes, I, I got to, unlike some people, I got to go to a model show, and I'm not talking about the Nationals. Our local club, MMCL, held their uh, uh, annual contest. We normally used to hold it in the spring, but because of COVID, it got moved to the fall, and I think we're probably going to keep it in the fall, given that it was a rousing success. Uh, we moved to a new location had almost 500 models entered. Vendor room was full, was just jam-packed. We were actually planning to do some recording from there, but uh, of course that didn't work out due to other commitments. But yeah, due to me not being there. Well, I wouldn't go. I'm, I'm not placing blame. Oh, I know. I had to, I had to leave early for family commitments anyway, but uh uh, got to see some of the listeners, uh, got to interact with with them. Uh, I brought some kits to sell, so I sold some kits and also managed to take that money and buy a few things. Uh, Dana Bell, the author, was uh, vending at the show, and uh, I picked up his book on the uh, Kingfisher and got him to autograph it, so that's going to be on its way to, to your place at some point, along with uh, four pints of beer. Hey, all right. Yay. Successful show. Uh, yes, it was in every respect, including the club made money. So that that's well, always good. that's always important. You don't, you know, you don't go into it trying to make a fortune, but you just don't want to lose money. And the, we didn't. We made money. And so uh, uh, definitely, I think they've already tentatively inked the deal for next year. So uh, hopefully next year. Yeah. Yes. How about you? What, what's your model sphere been like? Well, uh, well, for starters, I'm glad we're back on Sunday nights. <laughs> oh, you mean recording? Oh, recording, yeah. So that's good. Uh, other than that, I, I've I've been asked by my some of my coworkers to bring in some of my work. Oh, well, that's nice. That's... And they're they're interested to see it, exactly what I do and what it's all about, and uh, all these crazy uh, screenshots on my my screensaver on the on the on the work computer and all that and these shows I keep going to and Vegas trips and all that. <laughs> What you're doing is you're subtly sucking in a bunch of 20, 25-year-olds uh, into into modeling. That's great. Well, maybe. We'll see. We'll see about that. <laughs> so I think uh, not this week, but uh, maybe Friday next week. I'm going to be out of town this weekend. So next week I, I'm, on Friday, I'll probably pack up a bunch of stuff and well, a few things. And take yeah, be, be, be careful, man. Don't, yes. don't, transport, don't transport too much all at once. Uh, and my desk is only so big. So Yes. Exactly. And I'm looking forward to that because th that all came up during the interview process and uh, these uh, soft skills from 
scale modeling kind of transferred over to this new new job assignment. So it was kind of interesting the way it all played out. So I got to prove I actually do do something. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> well, they they seem they seem to be happy with you at work so far. I, I think so. It's working out real well. Uh, Mike, uh, what's your modeling fluid tonight? Uh, my modeling fluid is uh, a bourbon that's actually crafted in Tennessee, labeled Bib and Tucker. Bib and Tucker. Bib and Tucker. Yeah. Where Where's it out of? Columbia, Tennessee, which is down uh, southwest of Nashville. Yep. Actually, southwest of Franklin. Even it's pretty yes. far down. So lower, lower middle Tennessee. Oh, okay. And you? We'll we'll catch up at the end. But what, what, are, you, what are you about to say there? I'm having a uh, pint of dank meme from <laughs> Triptych Brewing out of Illinois. It is a hazy American pale ale, runs about 5.4% alcohol by volume. And uh, I am having this courtesy of our uh, listener, Mr. Choi, who brought a four-pack for you and a four-pack for me to the show and kindly brought it by the table. So... Hey, here's my my first sip. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Well, we'll see if it stays good toward the end. So, well, good on him, man. That's fun. We saw him in Vegas, and you saw him again in Louisville, and we'll, I'm sure we'll see him again soon enough. Well, I don't know if he'll make it to Cincinnati, but uh, yeah, I'm hope hopefully as shows get back into the the swing of things, and we start to have regular show schedules. Uh, uh, we'll get to see more and more of the listeners because that I, I've got to say that was one of the big takeaways from Vegas is how much it, how much fun it was to see some of the listeners in person. Well, and I felt bad because I'd run my mouth last last episode about being at the show and then just it just didn't work out. So that's the way it is. Hey, life happens. Life, life happens. happens. Life happens fast. Ask a MC Hammer. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, we've had some listener mail here in the last couple of weeks. All right. Uh, let's see. First up is Ted Kawahara. Now, we met him out in Vegas, and he's from uh, Palo Verdes Estates in California. And he's saying that our aftermarket episode was uh, helpful, and he thinks there's so many new products out there that some of them seem like overload, like super detailed sprocket wheels for tanks and stuff. And I, I don't know. Maybe not. Some sprockets on kits don't have enough teeth on them. Yes. Or the, correct, or the correct number. They're oversimplified, but I know where he's coming from. I, I understand. Some of this seems only the builder may notice. Yeah. And the, and the designer of the aftermarket parts. Now he's, he's got an interesting, uh, well, I'll call it a question. It's a statement, though. Um, he would love to hear our recommendation on, on, on our favorite hobby websites and tips on what to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me give you one tip to avoid. Going on a hobby website such as Hannett's or Sprue Brothers uh, late in the evening after just finishing off your modeling fluid for the night, uh, that can sometimes lead to, oh, let's call them impulse purchases. <laughs> so uh, as far as great websites, the, the ones that I find myself at a lot are Scalemates. I find myself at Hannett's. Uh, Sprue Brothers, as far as sites, I, I, I probably go to 72nd Scale Aircraft Forum every day. Those are just some of the ones. I think it, for each person, it depends on what your interests in are, but you'll find a great website and then you'll find yourself keep going back to it. I think you're right. I, I don't know what genre he's mostly building. I don't remember, but uh, 
you know, I'm always on Paul Budzik's website. Yeah. And his YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, and all the ones you mentioned as well. But uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll give this a little more consideration and maybe hit a little harder at a yeah. later date. We've done it before, but yes, I don't want to just make it, make it YouTube channels because there's a lot <laughs> of that going on in the, in the model sphere on the other podcast. So, yeah. Oh, speaking of Mr. Choi, his buddy, Michael Aluzzi's written in again from the Polish coast watchers. Yeah. I think they're both part of that. That's Peoria, yeah. Illinois, right? Yes. Is that near Chicago? No, it's, it's more toward the center of the state. Okay. And what was the name of that brewery again? Triptych? Triptych Brewery. Which isn't, is, that, isn't that the past all the things you can go see in Chicago? Uh, Savoy, Illinois. Okay. Uh, okay. Savoy, well, the, be- the beer could be from near Chicago. Yeah. Okay. It could be. So, Tom, straighten us out on that. We'd like to know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll put this link in the show notes, but uh, Mike forwarded us a link uh, from uh, AARP. Now I'm going to not take offense to that. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's about scale model making as a hobby and in your brain. And it's got a kind of a, a synopsis or a tagline. And it says, uh, building a tangible object can be great for your mental health. The detailed handwork of building a model plane stimulates many areas of the brain and boosts concentration, hand motor skills, and even your mood. Yep. He's, he sent me that same article. I actually posted a link to it on my blog. And uh, uh, I have no doubt that modeling is good for your mental health. As as we get older, it keeps you, I think it keeps you alert, the hand-eye coordination stuff, although, uh, you know, sometimes uh, not doing as well as other times. But uh, I think all of that really does keep your mind occupied. And I think we've all known people as they got older who didn't have a particular interest or something that caused them to get up in the morning that engaged their brain. And if you don't do that, you certainly can have a fade of your faculties. So I'm listen, that's another way to sell modeling. It's good for you. We'll, we'll put that up there, but you know, you remember the Flintstones camel cigarettes? <laughs> No, I do not. <laughs> it's out there on YouTube. You know, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff used to be good for you. <laughs> yeah, well, now uh, I certainly do admit that you have to be careful around some of the volatile chemicals that we deal with in modeling. But you know, it's not it's it's not like we're working in a chemical factory or anything. Well, I'll have to read this. I haven't read it yet, but it sounds yeah. interesting. It is. Um, it's a good. It's a nice article. Very, uh, very pro modeling and uh, really interesting as far as what the science shows about keeping sharp as you get older. I'm still waiting for ARP to uh, take a Blue Oyster Cult's "Don't Fear the Reaper" as their theme song. <laughs> Dude, I've I have been getting letters from AARP for ten years now. It's coming. To, it's coming up on you really, really quick. Oh, I'm already getting them. Not 10 years worth, though. Mm-hmm. All right. John Allen from Lafayette, Indiana is next. Oh, he's got a doozy. I was decaling my 48 scale V22 Osprey, and the question popped into my head. I always shoot a coat of Tamiya X22 gloss clear over the whole model before decaling. I follow this by shooting another coat of clear after decaling to seal, seal them 
and prior to weathering. I was wondering, do you guys clear coat the entire model after decaling or just put it where you apply the decals? And uh, he's just one of his wasting his time doing this. There are a variety of opinions out there on the internet regarding this particular issue. I'd walk that back a little bit because uh, w- what comes to my mind is my, it's not my saying, but I, I use it a lot. My experience is not at the mercy of your opinion. Yes, that is right. But there's a lot of experience on both sides of this issue. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. So, so that doesn't really hold water. So you're right. I don't, I don't think they're opinions anymore. There's, there's two schools of practice at this point. Yes, absolutely. Well, there's a, at least two schools, maybe more. Right. But I do what has always worked for me, and this is what I do, and that is I gloss coat before laying decals down. I do at least a light gloss coat after the decals have been laid down to seal them before I begin to weather. I usually weather uh, over the gloss coat and then go in with a final matte or semi-matte or whatever finish. That works for me. I know there are people who, who not only say they don't do it, they seem to get a little bit angry that some people still do that. And it may work for them. But for me, this has always worked. And, and I think it has numerous benefits, not least the which the one that uh, uh, the listener mentioned, which is that it provides a barrier for the weathering. Whereas if you're weathering directly onto the paints, I think that you t- you're, you're taking more risk. Whereas if you're weathering on top of a gloss coat, then, you know, uh, at that point, I've never made a mistake that I haven't been able to remove. And that's important for me because I make a lot of mistakes. Well, and a lot of these current techniques prefer like a satin or even a gloss, I guess, if you want to go that far, to get the benefit out of some of the blending processes. Yes. Yes, it has advantages in that in that area as well. That it's if you're over a semi-gloss or gloss surface, you can you can blend some of the weathering techniques together. And uh you know, I think uh the 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 real question is is the before part of this, I think. And you know, Budzik's got a great video out there on his channel. We just mentioned him before that, you know. Basically says, no, this isn't necessary. It's all gets back to the quality of your initial paint finish, whether it's matte or not. I've done it both ways. You know, that little Bofors thing I built, there was decal. There was no gloss coat over that. Yeah. And, and it worked out. I've got experience on both sides of this. I don't know. I tell you what, we have an episode in the works. Uh, it won't be the next one with Dr. Strange Brush, but uh, he wants to do one on decaling. And I'm you're curious what he does. Because, yes. I mean... The proof is in the pudding and the uh, the proof is in the eating, actually. Yeah. And he certainly, uh, he can't argue with his results, so we'll see what he does. We'll uh, put another bug in his ear about that one and, and see if we can't get that one on the schedule here. Uh, I don't know when, but uh, it, it's a good topic. It's a really good topic because it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a difficult subject for a lot of people or a difficult, ass- God, how to say it. It's a step in the build process that gives people problems. Yes. And it can really make or break a model. Yes, absolutely. I think that's the best way to say it. You you botch the decal job and, you know, there, you don't have a lot of options after that. No, a botch decal stands out on a mo- on a finished model. And and what you got to do to get that back to place where you can start over. Yes. 
it's a long, it's a long, ugly road. Yes, absolutely true. Well, it can be. Oh man, we got a long distance here, man. All right. Ricardo Antonio Montes from uh, Honduras. It's a long way. Yeah. Uh, his modeling fluid of choice is rum and cola with a splash of lime. It used to be called a Cuba, Cuba Libre. Cuba Libre. Uh, but I'm not sure what it's called now. Cuba Libre. If you went to a bar and ordered a Cuba Libre, they would tip tip their head to the side and give you the WTF. No, look in I their bet eye. you. No, you can still walk into a bar and nah, order I don't think a Cuba so, Libre. Maybe in Florida. Uh, well, yeah, especially in Florida. But uh, yeah, if you're walking into a bar and your bartender doesn't know Cuba Libre, get a new bar. I mean, it's not like you're asking for a fuzzy navel or so, you know, sex on the beach or something like that. It's a, it's a, it's like ordering a Manhattan or a martini <laughs> or a rum and coke or a rum and coke. Yes. <laughs> Oh, anyway, his interests are 72nd and 48th scale World War One and World War II aircraft and helicopters, some jets and armor. Uh, all good choices. All good choices. And uh, he understands you're the decal sheet master. <laughs> no, I'm the decal sheet hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> uh, apparently, there's an esky sheet in his, his stash that's missing something. I- I'm not sure. He wants, he wants to know if he can send you an email. Yes, absolutely. Uh, to, to possibly help him out. So absolutely, Ricardo. Absolutely. We will. Uh, I'll forward your email on. I just want to save that for the show. So yeah, no, absolutely. I listen. Uh, there have been any number of times, especially on seventy second scale forum, where somebody is looking for a particular sheet or somebody's looking for a particular marking, where I've been able to dive into my stash and deliver the goods. So, and I don't mind doing that. Listen, I'd rather see the decals get used. Than turn yellow in your book. Exactly. Well, I, I take, I take great steps to keep my decals from yellowing. I've, I've, um, we'll have to talk about that some, someday because, okay. uh, 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 decal storage and, uh, decal maintenance, uh, is something that you should take care to do and do right to preserve them, especially if you're going to spend as much as I have on decals. Well, we'll have to dive into that. Now one of the other podcasts is going to run with it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And finally, uh, Michael Karnauka, no geography. Perhaps we would consider a topic. All right. We're always looking for topic suggestions. Uh, Modeling tips you've read about tried and found that they didn't work or were disastrous that has happened well it's kind of a you know at what angle do you do you want that to come from you read about it and tried it and it was a disaster because you screwed it up because it's the first time doing it or it it, doesn't work or just absolutely bogus yeah i don't know yeah i don't Um, i'll I'll think about that i don't i don't know well i can think of a few of them I can um, I can think of things I've tried the first time they didn't work. I, right. I, and and by the same token I I can think of situations where I knew it was me immediately that I had somehow done not done the the technique correctly and then sometimes where it was like no this 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 is too much trouble this is not an improvement over what over what I've been doing. All right. Well, We'll take that one under consideration. We will consider it. And I don't know. Some of those work, work their ways into goose, gaffs, and blunders, but uh, it's kind yes, of a little different, different little take on it. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like modeling horror stories. 
Yeah, there you go. Hey, we Halloween's coming up, man. It, we can it come is. up with spooky, spooky modeling stories. You know, the kit that finished itself and stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> or the revenge of Doctor Strangebrush. But there you go, the revenge of Doctor Strangebrush. Well, that is it for Lister Mail. If you would like to contribute to our Lister Mail segment, you can do so by emailing us at plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com. And please tell us where you're from. We'd like to hear it. Absolutely. This is the point in the podcast where I ask uh, everybody who's listening if they wouldn't mind taking a moment when you're done listening to this episode to rate us on whatever uh, podcatcher app you're using to listen to podcasts. We'd appreciate a five-star rating. That helps in driving up the visibility of the podcast. But more importantly, uh, if you tell a friend about the podcast, if you tell somebody that you know that's a modeler that isn't listening to the podcast, if you tell them about it, you might even have to walk them through how they get a podcast app on their phone and, and how they start downloading us, please do that because uh, the number one way we get new listeners is current listeners telling their friends. So we'd appreciate you doing that. And please check out all the other podcasts out there in the model sphere. There's there's getting to be a lot now, and, and they're all good. And just give them a listen. Decide what you like or listen to them all. You can find a lot of them at uh, modelpodcast.com. It's a consortium website we created just so we could plug them all at once and just have you go to a website and, and find all these other websites and uh, dive into them, enjoy them, reach out to them, reach out to us, and, uh, and just enjoy all these podcasts. There's a lot of great content out there, and it really really works well with the bench time. Yeah, especially you've got to listen. You, fall's coming up. There are a lot of leaves going to be hitting the ground. You're going to be spending a lot of time raking leaves and, and doing all that stuff. Nothing better than to listen to, to all those podcasts while you're out there doing your yard work. And podcasts aren't all, Dave. We also got our blog and YouTube friends out there. We got Chris Wallace up in Canada, model airplane maker. He's got a blog and a great YouTube channel. They're both good. Uh, Chris is a great guy. We talk to him pretty often. And uh, please check out his content. Stephen Lee, another great blog, Sprue Pie with Frets. Always got something to say about the hobby. And his long-form uh, blogs are really interesting and, and uh, insightful. Yep. Jim Bates, a scale Canadian TV. Always good for a good laugh. Yes. <laughs> Check him out on YouTube. Jim Bates, scale Canadian TV. And finally, Mr. Jeff Groves, an inch high guy. All things 72nd scale. Now, did you see Jim at the show? Did he, or you Jeff at the Jeff, show? Yes, I actually, Jeff came down. Jeff made purchases. Jeff stashed his purchases under our table. Uh, and I got to sit down and talk with him for probably 45 minutes. And uh, it, it, I'll tell you, I'll be perfectly frank and honest with you. It was the single thing I was looking forward to most about the, the Louisville show is I knew that I would see Jeff there. Uh, Jeff and I haven't been able to see each other in, uh, you know, since Indy. Right. And then before that, it had been over a year because of COVID and no contests and all that. And so I was really looking forward to it. We got to spend some time. Uh, we plotted ways to drive you further crazy by getting you uh, more anatomy of a ship books, you know, just, just, friendly banter well he can send me all the ones i don't have to return he wants to <laughs> it'd be good yes i'm telling you i'm telling you well i need that tone uh that 3d ship book from uh 
Kagero Pol- Publishing. Yeah, yeah. The, the the Polish company. Um, because well, we'll get my my anti aircraft guns have shipped from Hobby Link Japan. So <laughs> now, are those seventy second scale or thirty fifth? They're thirty fifth scale. So you're not going to do a thirty fifth scale diorama. Well, you might do a gun tub diorama. Well. That's neither here nor there because we're in the wrong segment. That's <laughs> uh, all right. We're talking. We're talking. Well, Jeff, I hate I missed you. Please come to Cincy. Yes, he is going to be at Cincy. All right. So, we'll have him by the table. Yes, absolutely. Finally, uh, this is the point at which I ask all of the folks who are listening, if you're not a member of IPMS USA or IPMS Canada or all of the na- different national IPMS organizations, please join. And I want to extend a thanks to everybody who's heeded the call over the last year or so and joined. Uh, I know both IPMS USA and IPMS Canada have experienced membership growth. That helps the organization. It helps the hobby. And I would suggest not only joining, but once you've joined, reach out to the officers in the organization and see what you can do to contribute, whether it's writing an article for their publication or, uh, you know, volunteering with the reviewer corps at IPMS USA. There's, there's lots of ways that, uh, that you can help out. And you'll help grow the hobby, just like Mike is by recruiting everybody at his uh, new place of work. (laughs) All right, Dave. Well, we're going to take a short break here and have a word from our sponsor. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder steam back airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. All right, Dave, we're back, and it's Wagons Ho for Omaha. Yep, can't wait. Well, at the time of this recording, Dave, it is 290 days away from when the wagons roll for Omaha, Nebraska, and the 2022 IPMS National Convention in Omaha, Nebraska. Man, I am telling you what, time is flying by. I'm happy to see us under the 300 mark. Uh, I know we just came back from a national uh, two months ago, a month and a half ago. But uh, I I can't wait to go to the next one. And having been to Omaha before, I know how good it's going to be. Now, speaking of that, the hotel rooms become available on October 15th. At least that was their current plan. So if you're planning on going to Omaha and you want to stay in the convention hotels, that's hotels, plural, because there are two of them, uh, they sell out very quickly. So uh, October 15th, get in there and get your room. Because that's less than two weeks. I know it is. So I hope you got us covered, and we're going to keep this segment a little brief still tonight so we don't have national overloads. But uh, October 15th, hotel window opens, so be in front of your computer. Yep, absolutely. Or on, or on your smartphone. Yeah. So, Mike, uh, what's your bench top look like? Well, I've got two bench tops in the last two weeks. i got the virtual bench top. And I've got my physical bench top. All right. Well, let's hear about both of them. Well, the virtual bench top, I've been playing with CAD the last week or so on uh, Autodesk Fusion 360. Really trying to make some real parts instead of just learning how to extrude and join and cut and all that stuff in the CAD package. Actually trying to do something with it. And it's all related to the ZIST six truck that's the basis for this katusha this bm13 katusha i'm wanting wanting to build and i guess have at least mentally started that project (laughs) 
Well, sometimes, you know, to, to be honest with you, I usually mentally start a project before I actually cut plastic. Well, you know me, I've usually mentally built the project before, oh, yeah. uh, before I even start. But anyway, the, the few parts that are coming from the, the Allen kit for this project, some of them are not very good. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. An Allen kit that doesn't have good parts in it? <laughs> Color me shocked. Fair enough. Fair enough. In particular, it's one of those conversions in a box kind of kits, right? Mm-hmm. They took an existing ZIS-5 kit, which is a two-axle truck. And they threw in some licensed copies, I guess, of Italeri's Katusha launcher. And then short run molded a bunch of parts to make it a three axles, this six truck. So those were the rust job kind of parts. So they're, they're, they're bl- lower than the quality of all the other parts. Ooh. So, so <laughs> that, that's a low bar. You see, you see where this is going. Right? Yes. <laughs> So in particular, the the tandem leaf springs in the back for the two rear axles are kind of soapy looking, let's just say that. Yeah. And they're not that hard from a CAD standpoint to to create some new ones. And I'm going to print print these off at work, I hope, and see how that goes. So I'm kind of learning to use Fusion 360. And it's funny, we were talking about this at work just at the end of last week. And now SolidWorks has a maker package for $100 a year, which... Anybody out there has ever looked at, a, at an enterprise CAD package? I mean, $100 a hundred dollars a year for a subscription. Yeah, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but it's it's really not. I mean, that's a pittance, really. It is. Yeah, it's really really tempting because I know what SolidWorks will do, and I'm trying oh. to figure out what Fusion Three Hundred and Sixty will do. It, it it does pretty good, but uh, I don't know. It's tempting. Well, do you, you already know that package? I, I don't know that package, but SolidWorks is a Dassault Systems product, which makes Katia, which I am familiar with. So there's a little similarity, but it's just got more capability and, and a little more intuitive than Fusion 360, I suspect. I, I've not used SolidWorks. We use it at work, but in my capacity at work right now, I'm not a CAD user. And they only have so many licenses, so you know, only so many people can be using it once anyway, so... Till I have actually need at work to use it, I'm, I'm not going to be using it at work. So you're trying to come up with CAD renderings to 3D print these leaf springs? Yes. To replace, okay. To replace the parts. And these, yep. of course, will be in av- available in the plastic model Mojo uh, aftermarket line, right? Ah, uh, you know they could be. We'll see what happens. We'll no, I mean happens. it's it's the second product. The the to the <laughs> etch dive breaks are the first. <laughs> Oh, man, you're trying to push me down another rabbit hole, man. (laughs) Leave it to me. Well, moving to the physical workbench, I'm still painting and decaling ammo boxes for this Zist 2. I know people are getting tired of hearing about this, man, but uh, I'm a slow builder. So I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. (laughs) Slow, but attention to detail. They look very, for folks who haven't been to the Facebook page, they look very nice. Uh, the interesting thing is, as, as Mike's mentioned previously, is that he's trying to make them f- fresh looking. And it's true that fresh looking wood is totally different and maybe a lot harder than doing weathered wood. I think I'm getting it. I, I don't think it's harder. You just got to come at it from a, from the other side. And it's easy. it's easy to overdo it. Yeah. 
Yeah, you got to be subtle. And uh, the color palette using to, to get the variation in the, in the planks in the, in the box, ammo boxes is, is, is different. But uh, we talked about that last time, too. Um, yeah. The, the one thing, though, I will say is uh, I want to give out a nod to TJ Holler over at the Plastic Posse podcast. I don't know if you saw his recent post. Uh, I don't know if it was on the Posse web Facebook page or his Orion Paintworks Facebook page. No, I haven't seen it either way. He reminded everybody of the last ditch kind of decal setting solution, also known as Tamiya Extra Thin Cement. Yes. Appreciate it, TJ. I I know about that due to a do a goof gaff and blunder from years ago. Go back and listen to our first goose gaff and blunders and you'll you'll understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um it's a ballsy solution, man, but it does work. But you got to be careful. But it is it is all or nothing. I mean that yeah. is you do not resort to that until you are to the point where you've hit the heck with it. The, yeah, rock the, bottom pretty much. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the nuclear option for a decal set. Yeah, it either works or you have Or you just, ruin your model. You've ruined your model. <laughs> That's right. If you had to resort to that with with the or were you able to get solve set and You know that solve set you gave me, how long have you had that stuff? Oh god, probably forever. I got a. Th- I, I'm thinking one of the reagents evaporates out of that stuff. It may well. You're right. It may well. It's acting more like tap water than decal solution. solution. <laughs> well, then go out and get a fresh bottle, man. I may have to. Yeah. Not to slight you, it's generous to give me a bottle. No, no, that. but it's true. I'd had it forever, it, it, and it may well be uh, aged out. It may be aged out. See, I wonder. I wondered about the opposite effect, as if it as as it got older, if possibly it got more concentrated rather than less. Well, that's, a, that's you know, like all the water evaporates out of it. Yeah, exactly. Wherever so. Yeah, that's possible too. I, I don't know. Okay. It could be the decal. It could be the combination of the setting solution and the decals, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, it wouldn't hurt to have a whole arsenal of setting solutions. Uh, I mean, just freaking all of them. Funny, funny you should mention that because I have... Uh, all three of the Deco products, I have both of the uh, Mr. Whatever they're calling them. I have Microsol, Microset, and... Uh, Tamiya Markfit. Tamiya Markfit and Tamiya Markfit Strong and um, Solvaset. So, yeah, I pretty much have everyone on the market. Well, I want to get those universal modeling products. Is that right? UMP? UMP, I don't know. I, well, they make, they make like three concentrations. Well, and that's what Daco does. Daco makes three concentrations. Okay. A light, medium, and strong. Feeding right back into the whole decal episode we need to do. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> you could listen. It's true. The, you could talk about getting decals, decals, the different manufacturers and what the pitfalls are and how to get rid of bubbles and silvering how to prevent them in the first place it could be a it could be a full on episode so we may have to do that well dave that's my benches all right well it sounds like you're slow but steady wins the race man the tortoise uh, not the hare i hope so yeah well it's looking good man i'll tell you what it's looking good i can't wait to see it and you well, your benches had Quite the flurry of activity. Yes, uh, I, in after after a s- slowdown that occurred a couple of weeks ago, I finally bit the bullet, and it was really as much getting over mental block as, and that's what it, a lot of times with modeling it usually is. But uh, I started uh, masking the mosquito 
to put the green on. And I did something I usually don't do. Uh, there are commercial pre-cut masks available for the, for the mosquito kit. I could have gone out and bought them, but I didn't. Instead, I blew up the kit instructions and used the illustrate the decal and, and markings illustration as a pattern to hand free cut my own masks and free cut my own masks and, and mask the model to apply the green. The one thing that was unusual and I think probably wouldn't have happened had I been using a commercial mask set is that I did this in sections instead of spraying all. To masking the whole aircraft up upper side and painting the green all at one sitting. I actually masked one wing, then I masked the fuselage, then I masked the tails and elevators, and then I masked the other wing. So I actually did four separate painting sessions, four separate masking sections and four separate painting sections. And really the only reason, reason I did it is it, it seemed to me to be more easy to take it in those chunks to, to, uh, to mask a little bit, then paint a little bit, peel it off, see how it worked, mask a little bit, paint a little bit, peel it off, see how it worked, rather than mask everything at once and do one giant painting session. And go, oh, crap. Yes, and go, oh, crap. No, it seemed to work for It's never the way I've done it before, ever. And it worked, and I like it. And so the uh, mosquito has the green on the top color. And, and I went back in with my hard-earned Steenbeck Infinity and took that green and lightened it up and went in and clouded the green areas after all the masking had been removed. That was just freehanding, clouding, and highlighting the green-only areas without any masking on the model. And that hard, I would never, never have done that with any other airbrush, but literally that harder and Steenbeck Infinity, if you dial... If you get the paint mix right, you dial the pressure down to about 8 to 10 PSI, and you get very close up on the model. It's literally as if I'm drawing with a pencil on, on the model surface. The, the level of control is extraordinary. It's different than anything else I've ever experienced. And I've been airbrushing for 30 years. It's just awesome. I, it was a wonderful experience. So now I'm going to do some uh, more shading on the uh, upper surfaces, a little bit of shading and, and stuff. Uh, and then at that point, I'm going to uh, gloss it up, start putting decals on it. Sounds good, man. Yeah, it's getting there. And the TU-128 is moving along. Well, I got I to gotta fire up my Infinity here again soon. I'm telling you what, and and guys, the other thing that I will say, and this applies not just to the Infinity, but to airbrushing as a whole, it is not like riding a bicycle. It is a perishable skill, and if you don't airbrush regularly, you're. And for those of us who are slower builders, that can be a challenge sometimes but you want to have something in the paint shop at all times because you want to be painting all the time 
because what will make you a better airbrusher is airbrushing more. So I highly recommend it. Um, I do think that given the combination of this infinity and my airbrushing more, my skills are getting sharper and sharper. Yeah. So your digs, you hear that listeners, he like took a shot at me with about the slow building. I was not, a, <laughs> listen, I am not that much faster a builder than you are. Okay. Now, yes, it did. You are take, right now. It, I was going to say it didn't take me 10 years to complete a PT 76, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that wasn't a ten-year project either. That was <laughs> it. Wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> My ten-year PT PT seventy-six does not scale against that uh, four-year uh, short sterling we talked about last episode. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our benches, folks, and we're going to get in right into faves and yawns. Man, Dave, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but for for an odd time of year, the releases have been just stupid. Over the yes. last month and a half, two months, I, I can't believe it. You got any faves? You got any faves out there? Well, uh, I mean, number number one, and I'm sure it's going to be on your list too, is Border Models is releasing the wingnut wings molding of the 32nd scale Lancaster. We don't know how this happened. We don't know what the story behind it is. I, I went to the Nationals in 2019 in Chattanooga when Wingnut Wings was there with a test shot of the kit. And it was amazing to see then. I'm, this, this thing's going to be stupid popular. I'll be interested to see what they price it at because, uh, uh, Wingnuts, when we were talking to them and, um, Chattanooga, they were trying to keep it at five ninety nine and under. So you know, this is on my list, and it is on the fence. Believe it or not, I'll probably get some hate for this. Whether it's a favor or a yawn. <laughs> well, and uh, one th- other thing I was going to say about this is that when Wingnut Wings were doing this, they also were producing or planning to produce just the cockpit section and forward nose of the Lancaster as a separate kit. And that's what I was interested in. Okay. There, there is no place in my house. Well, yes, there is, but my wife would probably strenuously object to me having a 32nd scale full size, you know, 32nd scale Lancaster built, built model of the entire thing. But a 32nd scale model of the cockpit and nose area is really no bigger than from your wristband to the end of the tips of your finger, uh, your index finger. It's definitely a kit that you could easily buy and build and detail up and light. Oh man, that's one that just is going to be begging for a light kit. And all these modelers now who are lighting their models, I can't wait. I'm glad we're seeing, it would have been a shame if those molds as beautiful as they are had never seen the light of day. With that, I agree. It is a incredible feat of tool design engineering. It's brilliant, but it is so flipping big and they're going to sell like, I don't know how many of these. I don't think the number is going to be that big. And of the ones that are sold, how many of them are going to get built? <laughs> yeah. No, that, that is that that is a problem. It's going to be popular not because it is a void filler on the modeling spectrum. It's going to be popular because it's big and beautiful. Yes. And, and the bleeding edge of modeling technology. It is. But that bleeding edge 
has limited appeal as far as people are actually going to build and buy and build it. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm glad it's seen the light of day, but it's not an earth mover. Yeah. Well, cause it's, I, it's, it's not going to have that. It's just not going to have that kind of traction. Well, it's not a, to me, a 48 scale F4 Phantom. Yes, that that is true. Absolutely, that is true. Uh, but I can't wait till you and I show up in Omaha and there's uh, an entire table of 30-second scale Lancasters. Well, that would be maybe two of them. <laughs> yeah, there's some truth to that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it the one limitation on this thing is it's that it size. is. Well, it's just like that, again, that 35th scale Dora kit. Yeah, how you many of those have you seen? How many of those have you seen built? I've, I think I've only seen one built, maybe two. Yeah. I mean, it, because you're right. It's it, from a, from a practicality level, it's stupid. It's, it's not practical, but boy, I'm telling you what, when we were in Chattanooga 2019 and oh, yeah, saw I'm that sure. thing, I mean, it was, it was, you just stared at it because not only was it big and impressive and all, but it was just a feat of modeling technology. The oil canning, the detail, um, just really amazing. Well, I've got my first fave. Is I'm going to double dip here. Okay. It must be Stug 30 in the world. <laughs> By the Stug clock. Border Models is releasing a Stug 3G final version. And Ryfields has a Stug 3G early version. Now, this final version is absolutely my favorite version of this vehicle and if you remember back in st louis in 1991 i bought the gunzi sanyo yes i remember kit of this particular version uh and it got me a nickname mm-hmm. and i sold it i never built it because i had a bunch of white it was I knew something better would come along eventually, and yeah. and, and now it has. 30 years later. 30, 30 years later. I'm hot for this one because they're kidding it in a couple, a couple of couple of three versions. Interior, no interior, and they're, they've got a crew for it. It's just a really impressive looking thing. And then Ryfields is doing a, an early version of the Stug 3G. It's not the initial version, but but an early version. Again, full interior kits. These look really, really nice. And the early one interests me less, but the the, the final version, absolutely, I'm going to buy this kit flat well, out. I'm going to buy it. We need to get you and Evan on on a. Uh, uh, we keep saying that, and we're we're working on it, man. I know we're we need to get you on an episode and just have Stugathon or Stugapalooza <laughs> or whatever, because we've got a 16th scale kit of the Stug coming out now. Uh, there got- are three 16th scale kits of the Stug coming out. Three. There's a trumpeter one. There's the one Dosworks is doing, and somebody just last week announced another one. Holy mother of. All that is holy. That's <laughs> three. Uh, hopefully, they're at least doing three different versions. Nope. Oh, that's disappointing. Which is interesting, and that's a whole other topic, though. Yeah. How they all ended up about the same version. But uh, yeah. what else you got? Well, uh, my next uh, fave is uh, Flyhawk has announced oh, a, yeah. se- a 72nd scale SBD-3. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're assuming they will eventually do a four and a five as well. And in fact, who knows, might even go back and do a one and a two. We have needed this uh, in 72nd scale. The only decent SBD kit forever has been the Hasegawa kit. 
and the Hasegawa kit has been very spottily uh, released by Hasegawa. It will be available, and then it disappears for 10 years. Then it's available in a special double boxing that quickly disappears. And so, and those kits are 1970s molds. They're really nice, mo- nice kits, but they are 1970s molds. They don't have any interior to speak of. Uh, you know, the engine detail is not the greatest. Uh, obviously, the the dive brakes are, are molded in plastic uh, rather than photo etch or resin. Flyhawk does some fantastic stuff. And if ever there was a, a kit that cried out for a new mold, it was the SBD. And I'm super happy to hear this. And Flyhawk has a really good reputation for doing good models. So I can't wait. Now, time frame was, when, when was that one mostly in service? Was that a midway one? Or well, what? the SBD-3s were from the beginning of the war. All They were predominant probably through 43 and into, they still were around. I know my, my late father-in-law um, enlisted in the Navy in 1944. And he was sent down to Miami. Uh, he was training with the Navy. He was a, a gun synchronizer. And the aircraft that they had him training on were all beat up, you know, uh, not no longer frontline service. They were SBD 3s and 4s in Miami. Uh, luckily, the, the war ended before he had to go to the Pacific. But can you do a red dot star? Oh, you mean the early? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you can do an SBD-3 from the beginning of the war. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah. I see me buying one of those. Well, in fact, if they'll go back and do the 1-2, the SBD-1, you can do a yellow wing. So that's one of the reasons to hope that they're going to do the earlier versions because the SBD was briefly in service before the Navy got rid of the yellow wings marking. So you, if, if they do an early, early one, you'll, you'll actually be able to build a yellow wings. Well, that sounds like a good one. I, I saw that announcement and I was like, yeah, I'll probably get one of those. Yep. Hey, we've, I've got you in, man. You I'm do. You got me in. in. Especially, I mean, it's Navy. Yes, that's right. Well, my next one's to me is M18 Hellcat. Is it a fave or a yawn? It's a fave. <laughs> you kidding now, me? Who did who who has done the Hellcat before? I think AFE Club and they, they left the canvas off the mantle and they offered that maybe as a as an add-on later. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a real swell of them. <laughs> cuz cuz like it, how many were built without that or went into service without that canvas on there like maybe none. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's to me a, it's an open top tank destroyer. Ah. It's my favorite of the tank destroyers, you know, the M the M10, the M36, and the M18. See, I'm an M10 fan. I got to say. I, I like it too, but uh, I I think the Hellcat was the the fastest tracked AFV of the war. Oh yeah. Period. Oh yeah. So we'll see. I, I mean, it's to me, a, it's not going to be bad. Yeah, really. How how bad could it be? It's going to, you know, there'll be some simplification for ease of construction, but uh, somebody will fix that with aftermarket. At it's it's going to be a good kit. I'm going to get that for sure. What else you got? I got a yawn. Lay it on me, man. Okay. it's. I'll explain the yawn. Ravel is re-releasing their, their Star Wars X-Wing in 157th scale. And while 
I got no problem with Star Wars. I got no problem with X-Wings. I think they're beautiful. Lord knows the fine mold 72nd scale kit is freaking amazing. Uh, the Bandai was not bad either. Ba- Bandai <laughs> not bad either. I Why? Why in for all that is holy, why did Ravel decide to model this in 157th scale? Okay, I understand if you're building a Death Star, you can't do that in 72nd scale or 144th or even 1250th or a Star Destroyer or whatever. But this thing is the size of a modern jet fighter. If yeah, you go it is. The scale of, from the scale of the person. There's no reason for them not to do that in 72nd or 48th scale. Why they would choose to box scale something like that in this day and age just i'm i'm mystified by that well i would i would want to know the lineage of that kit and wonder if it came from somewhere else uh i think i don't know i don't know well let let one of our listeners out there who is deep into star wars tell us what the lineage of the 157th scale Ravel kit is did Ravel do it initially did they get the molds from somebody what year did they do them I can't remember what scale the old MPC kit from the seventies is for, is in. I I I do not know, but again, listeners can tell. It just that drives me up a wall that for something that is the size of a modern jet fighter that they did not choose to do it in seventy second or forty eight. That would be an impressive model in forty eight scale. It would. Yeah. Maybe Border should do one 30-second scale. There, there you go. <laughs> I got a yawn. Okay. Give me your yawn. Hobby Boss. Uh-oh. Banging on Hobby Boss again. X-21st Century Toy, 118th scale BF-109 Emil. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know they were. They had gotten those molds and were releasing them. Yeah, it's 18th scale. It has like 70 parts in the entire kit, including the screws. Yeah. It's a toy. Yeah, well, twenty-first century hobby was definitely a a different kettle of fish when, and it was an interesting idea when they started when they first came out and started doing that. But then, of course, the company disappeared fairly quickly, and I don't know if those molds have been anywhere else. No, I don't. Well, there's a bunch of those planes. I mean, there's a Stuka and right, exactly Mustang and Thunderbolt. There's all kinds of them, but. Uh... I don't know. To release an 18 scale kit as a scale model and have like 70 parts. Well, it's it's definitely not a Border Models Lancaster or Wingnut Wings Lancaster. Well, you know, that's another point. Border's got all these 35th scale single engines. Now they got a 32nd scale bomber. Yep. Yep. They clear. Well, I mean, if you had the opportunity to acquire the Wingnut Wings Lancaster, I can see any company, no matter what their other product lines were. Oh, yeah jumping at that just because I, I don't see how that doesn't make money for them, especially depending on how they acquired it and how much it cost them to acquire it. Well, I wish them luck. We'll, we'll see. I do too. I do too. We'll see. I can't wait to see the first built up one. Yes, absolutely. All right, man. Well, our special segment tonight is what's your plan for getting better? A phrase we often utter on this show. Yep. That's thanks to Tim Nelson out in Washington State. Really? He's from Washington State? Yes. 
Yeah, Too Tall Tim Nelson is is uh, uh, up there with Jim and Doctor oh, okay. Strangebrush. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, it's a good phrase. What's your plan for getting better? You know, we all like to get better. A lot of us try to strive for excellence. I think that's a good thing. I think uh, unless you're Cutting somebody's paycheck to demand excellence out of other people is, is a bit much. But uh, what do you think, man? Uh, what, well, what's your plan for getting better, Dave? Well, here is my goal when I build the model. Two things. I've got two two things, and and they're both kind of related to my plan for getting better. And I want to understand. I want to get better for me. Okay, this is some. It's not because I've got to compete in a contest or I've got. You know, I've got to get so-and-so's approval. This is for me. I mean, this is the hobby I like. It's it's fun for me. So my plan for getting better is always related to what interests me. But the, the, I ha- always have two goals with any kit that I'm building. Number one, I want to acquire a new skill or try something new. Give you an example, the M30 kit. Uh, I wanted to build a piece of 35th scale artillery. I wanted to try chipping techniques. Uh, The TU-128 that I'm building, I wanted to do bare metal. I wanted to try really to really up my game on a bare metal finish. So one of my goals with any model that I build is to try something new and different. The other one is there's this from Japanese history. There's the story of the sword maker who his goal with every sword was to be able to cut the previous sword. So my the, my translation of that into my modeling is I want each of my models to be a little bit better than the, than the last model that I built. And then again and again and again. I don't always achieve that. Uh, you know, every model I finish is not always better than the last one I finished. Uh, I don't always achieve, but I strive for that. That if I build, if I concentrate on, okay, doing one more thing or doing some of the basics better or whatever it is to make it when I put it down and go, okay, yeah, not only is that good, it's better than the one that I finished before it. Yep. That's a good plan. Yeah, that's my plan for getting better. At least that's the basics of it. How about you? You know, when I'm doing project planning, I often I try to identify opportunities for a new technique or a new fabrication method. And, you know, you can see that kind of my, my current project selection. Like like this Katusha, I know, I know I want to replace some of the parts and exploring 3d printing is going to kind of help facilitate that because I want to try to do it without building it by hand from scratch. Right. I could probably, but uh, I want to try something different. So some of my project selection kind of makes me think about, well, what are the challenges with this one and how am I going to overcome those challenges? And what what am I going to have to learn to do that? And for me, adding tools to my toolbox is getting better. Not just the not just the output, but if I can learn learn a skill, mm-hmm. learn a technique, and if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to put it on the model because at, at the end of the day, I'm like you. I, I strive for the model to be better than the last one I built. So if I try something that doesn't work out, you know, either the the project goes away or I, I do it a different way. So you know, some other examples this this Rebo Botan, which is kind of a 
a, a long-term learning project. Really, it is because uh, there's some 3D printing I want to do. There's some there's some photo etching I want to do, and there's some vacuum forming I want to do. Uh, I want to try to vacuum form the the front fenders on the front wheels because I, I think they lend themselves to that kind of a technique. Mm-hmm. And, and I've never, I've done it a little bit, but I, I've never done anything that big. You think the compound curves are what lends it most to the to the vacuum forming? The, the compound curves and, and the desire to have that really really thin the cross section. Yeah, I think you know you vacuum form that in a in a twenty thousand styrene or something, and you're going to get something that's really close to to what's on the real vehicle. Yeah. And kind of how I approach it, it's, it's on the, on the E16, the, the, the airplane, the float plane I've been building that I need to get back to eventually. Uh, when I saw those dive brakes on the model, I was like, that's not going to work. I can't live with that on the finished model. It, 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 they look terrible and like, well, here's an opportunity to learn how to photo etch them because that's how you're going to have to do it to get, get them the right thickness and get the holes in them. Right. Right. And uh, that, that gave me an opportunity to use a technique I, I'd read about on, uh, well, Starship Modeler, that yeah. website. And I, I put that to test and it worked out, you know, took a little trial and error, but I got it. So now that's that's in my bag of tricks and, and the quality I got was good enough to put on the finished model. So I'm really pleased with that. Well, in some respects, I'm similar to you as far as going my plan to get better. Putting another skill in the toolbox. Being able to say, okay, I did a big honking TU-128 and did a bare metal finish and got the finish to look like good bare metal finish, got to rescribe it uh, and practice and improve my rescribing skills. There's a sense of accomplishment to that. Then not only does that mean I can go build another bare metal aircraft, and Lord knows one of my interests is Russian aircraft, and there are a lot of bare metal Russian aircraft, let me tell you. But there's a there is a satisfaction from accomplishing the technique. If you do something and you go, yeah, okay, you know, there's trial and error, and yeah, there can be heartache along the way, but when you ultimately manage to persevere and and succeed in getting something that you that you like and looks like what you wanted to accomplish. There's a le- that that brings a level level of satisfaction to the hobby. And again, the hobby is all about enjoyment. And if you get that satisfaction from trying to that new te- technique and challenging yourself, it I think it makes the hobby better. Well, I'd, I would agree with that. And you know, another aspect of this is just practice, practice, practice. Yes. And you know, with some, some things that's a lot easier with than others being a slow builder. How do I practice, practice, practice? Well, airbrushing is, is, you know, I can do paint mules. I can do, I can go get a crappy kit out of the stash and build up the turret or whatever and, and, and do that and paint and, yeah. and, and improve my airbrushing. But you know, other techniques, new, new techniques, it's, it's a little harder to practice those, especially if you're a slow builder like me. Yeah. And I don't know, what what do you do with for, for practice? Well, a couple of things. One, and I think this is particularly important in airbrushing, but not air not just airbrushing. I think you can lose construction skills. Alan Hall had a, a article a long time ago in scale aircraft modeling when Alan Hall was um was still the editor. He had this uh, editorial where he talked about how he hadn't modeled in a while 
and he was looking forward to an upcoming weekend where he was going to be able to get some modeling done. And he had all of these plans and he, the weekend arrived, he started out and nothing worked right. Okay. That everything wasn't flowing the way and he became frustrated from it. And he realized that because he hadn't modeled in a while, that two things were happening. One, he was trying to do more than probably he should have because he was anxious to make up for lost time. And two, that even the basic things of assembly and and airbrushing as well, but even basic assembly is a learned skill. And that, you know, if, if... you're not doing it regularly. When you do get a chance to do it, your temptation is to rush through it. And uh, that causes all sorts of problems. Now, for somebody like you, what I would recommend, if it were just me giving you advice, would be to constantly have the, for want of a better word, the Airfix Bofors project going at all times. Something that is small, simple, that you're not going to, it's not an engineering project. It's not a, uh, you know, a scratch build and redo. It's an out of the box project where you're not going to do research on it. You're not going to do, you know, you're not going to find out what's wrong with the kit and try and accurize it. You're just going to take the parts that God and Ravel or Tamiya gave you. (laughs) and put them together in the order that they suggest and then paint it and weather it to the best I can. Yeah. The best you can realize that's that's exactly what I did on that. Well, I had a couple little bobbles. Well, you did the little things, but nothing, you're not much. And and, and I know you, you can't control yourself that, you know, that you, that, that you could do nothing, but you did as, as close to nothing as you're allowed. It needed window glass. Yes, it needed window glass. But but seriously, I think for those folks like you who are slower builders, especially if their slower building happens to be caused by the fact that they really get into the detail and the engineering and the remaking of the item, there's nothing better, I think, for those folks than to build a out-of-the-box or near-out-of-the-box in parallel with whatever project they're doing. Because that that does give you a chance to keep those building and those uh, painting skills going while you're learning CAD or you're practicing with 3D printing or you're doing whatever it is that you do, that you're doing, that's going to make that Katusha project the thing that you want it to be. I guess I need to start another uh, nostalgia build. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely. You know, I hear that you have an SA2 kit that I think, frankly, would make an excellent nostalgia build. Uh, I probably would. Yeah. And that builds up to a nice model if you've ever seen it. Surprisingly, so did the Bofors and Morris tractor. <laughs> well, the, the, the boxing I gave you, the Airfix boxing I gave you of that SA2 kit is a fairly early boxing, so the molds were probably pretty fresh. I don't I don't think there is any other boxings of that kit. <sighs> You you might be right. That might have been the last boxing. They may not have re-released that at any time. But surprisingly, that that model, that project, that's what it started out to be. Was it was a build it the best I can, make it look like I wanted to look when I tried to build it when I was thirteen, and it, it all worked out. Yeah, 
you know, they've got the little uh, six pounder anti tank gun and the, and the universal carrier. I'd like to do that one. Yeah. There's the Bedford with the, I don't know, the, I can't remember the caliber of the gun. It's a like 25 a, pounder. The 20, no, it's a bigger gun. It's like a 150 millimeter gun. It's a bigger. Anyway, there's there's the the Morris and or the the Bedford and whatever it's it's another gun and tractor kind of combination. But uh, I'd like to do that one too. And and I was really pleased with the way that came out. And and it just makes me want to do more of them because yep. I did. That was a practice, practice, practice. That's exactly what that was. Yep. And and, and that that is if you want to get better, that's the way to do it. Pra- again, it's just like how do you get to the mat? Practice, practice, practice. When we were in Vegas, I was talking to Scott from Plastic Posse Podcast, Scott Gentry. And uh, he said, man, th- this this thing looks so much better live than it does in the photographs. And he was, he was, he was talking about specific areas. And it just was just confirmation that I, I had accomplished what I was trying to do with that kit. Yeah. And just the paint job on it. And what I was, because it was, it was still, you know, there's no, there's no dry brush on that at all. It's all. Well, that's because you didn't have dry brushing paint available. Well, or something like that. <laughs> it's not cool anymore, man. Yeah, I know. Boomers, boomers dry brush. Yes, boomers dry brush. Ah, but it it, it turned out good. But yeah. you know, a, a, another aspect of that kit and and my and my float plane is uh, moving out of scale and genre comfort zone. Yes. Yeah, and I do think that's what I'm doing with the M30. Uh, I, I do think, you know, some people scoff at a palate cleanser, but I really do think a palate cleanser can help your modeling. Something that you just, you know, you, you don't know everything about it. Now you have to resist the temptation to go and, and do research and learn everything about it. Because as soon as you do, you'll start to see the areas that you can improve in the model. And the next thing you know, it's not, it's not a palate cleanser prog- project just to keep your skills up. It takes on the, the, you know, it metastasizes and you end up with AMS, advanced modeler syndrome, where you never get anything done because you don't have that piece of reference or you can't figure out how to do that one improvement or whatever it happens to be. But I do think that that it really is an important thing to do, especially for somebody like you who builds multi-year projects, you know, who the Katusha might take you a year, year and a half to co- to accomplish. The Reba Botan clearly will. So you got to have something on your table. And I'll go back to what I said before. I think it's important to have one thing in the paint shed all the time and one thing on the construction table at all times so that you're constantly doing one or the other, one or the other, back and forth, back and forth, depending on what your mood is. Because generally, I can't airbrush unless I have an hour or two. And right. there are many times I don't have an hour or two to to model. So I wanted to have construction available where I can build a wheel well or a landing gear or whatever part of a model and, you know, get in 30 minutes of modeling and still, uh, still do something and keep the skills fresh. All right. Got anything else? No, I think that's about it. Well, I'd like to hear for what the listeners do to get better. What, yes. what's, their, what's their plan? What's, what's your, your plan? What's your plan for getting better listeners? What are you doing? What, what advice you have to, to, uh, further your skills, further your, the quality of your work? Uh, how do you feel about that? Let us know. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, man, we're getting close to the end here. We need to do mm-hmm. our modeling fluid wrap up, Dave. Well, I've, I I will tell you, I am down to the last sip of Dank Meme, and this is definitely a beer I would drink again. Uh, Mr. Choi, thank you yet again. It's a hazy American pale ale, and not necessarily something I might have picked for myself. But this is very, very drinkable. Well, I can't wait to try it. Yep. Uh, yeah, we'll have to arrange that before I drink them. So how about yours? Well, this Bib and Tucker is interesting. It's like I said, it's it's a bourbon. It's 96 proof. So it's a, a little hot, a little hot. And it comes across as a little hot. And I think it comes across a little hot because uh, it's a six year age. Okay. So that's kind of on the fence, you know, that's like, right. it's not, it's not a four years, but it's not an eight. Right. And there's a big difference between a four and an eight. Oh, absolutely. People who don't realize, who don't drink uh, a fair amount of bourbon, there is a world of difference between a four-year bourbon and an eight-year bourbon. Now, I'll say again, it's a bourbon. It's not a Tennessee whiskey. And, and folks are like, well, what the hell is the difference, right? Well, a Tennessee whiskey has a an additional filtering process at the end. Right. Uh, it's called the, uh, oh, God, what is it? Lincoln County process, something like that. Something like that. Uh, I, I, I may be wrong. I want to say it's a maple charcoal filter. Yes. It, I know it is charcoal. I think it may be a maple charcoal. So it's it's a little different than a Kentucky bourbon kind of thing or a bourbon period kind of thing. It's uh, I think with the six, it doesn't have a lot of notes. I, I'm getting a lot of the oak and, and, and a lot of the heat. So yeah. That's because it's, it's a young bourbon. It's, it's young, youngish. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> Teenagers can be problematic. You wouldn't know about that. Yeah, I wouldn't know about that. I got it because Total Wine was having sample day when I went. Happened to be having sample day, so. Oh, I love sample day. I had it in a rye, and I, I chose this one. Uh, yeah. Price point's a little high. It's 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 about a about a almost a fifty dollar bottle. Um, I'm thinking not again. Yeah, I'm thinking get this to eight year, get it to nine ten. It's going to be something pretty good. It's not bad, but it's for that money I can get that I can get that old Forester nineteen twenty. Right. And it is so much better than this. Yeah. Well the the old Forester is just and do you know how long the old Forester's aged? Is that an eight or a twelve? Uh, it's probably an eight. But, but, based, uh, but based on the price point compared to the others in the line, it's probably an eight. I, yeah. I don't I don't know. I'd have to look it up, but it's it's just so much better than this. The one thing about it is that it's uh, fairly hot proof wise, but it doesn't come across no, as really it's, hot. It's smooth. It's good. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed mine. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Choi. And, uh, that was, that was fantastic. Uh, Mike, you got any shout outs to wrap things up? I, I do. We got a shout out all our generous Mojovians out there who've hit us up on Patreon since we launched that last month. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Matt O'Meara. Thank you, Eric Simmelmayer. Thank you, Dan Knoffel and David Fuller and Michael Shelby. Uh, we appreciate this. And for folks who want to use Patreon, you can use go to, to go to uh, www.patreon.com slash Plastic Model Mojo. And uh, that takes care of all your reoccurring contributions for you. If you want to subscribe to that and do it that way, that's great. We appreciate it very much. Uh, PayPal still out there. Uh, I want to thank Christopher Church for his ongoing support via PayPal. You could do that by going to uh, www.plasticmodelmojo.com. There's a heart icon in the upper right-hand corner 
Uh, you can use that for a one-time donation or a self-motivated reoccurring contribution, which uh, Mr. Church has done and which several others have done. And we appreciate that very, very much. Thank you all for your generosity. It's greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Let me second all of that. Well, my first shout out is to uh, Mr. Choi for supplying the modeling fluid for this episode. You chose well. One of the great things uh, about listeners coming to see us in person and bringing us the occasional modeling fluid is it gives Mike and I the opportunity to sample items that we don't get to see here locally. I'm all about trying different stuff, be it a Texas bourbon or an Illinois hazy American pale ale or whatever else. So we really do appreciate it when you all do that. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot. Got another one, Mike? I don't think I do this time, Okay. Well, I do. I've got another one. What you got? It's kind of related to your last one on mini art because uh, uh, I got the uh, res kit resin wheel set for the TU-128 and purchased it and got it and had a buggered wheel hub. Uh, this thing's got, got 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 wheel hubs. And one of the 20 wheel hubs was boogered. It had a, a, a flaw in it. I reached out to ResKit. They asked me to basically show that indeed I did have the kit. So I, I took a picture of the wheel hubs that I had and the uh, boxing material, you know, the illustration. And uh, they very quickly reached out and said, all, all we want you to do is pay postage. We'll, we'll be happy to send you the, uh, a replacement for the part provided me a link to pay the postage, which I did. And I don't blame them from the Ukraine. That's that's not insignificant postage, no matter what you're sending. So I did. And uh, my package is somewhere between the Ukrainian postal system and the U.S. postal system as we speak. So we, I, I, as I've said before, when manufacturers go out of their way to give good customer service, we modelers owe it to those manufacturers to speak out and to say, yeah, these guys are good guys. These guys did it right so that we patronize those those manufacturers. Well, that's good to hear. Yep, it is. I think I suggested you do that. You did. In fact, it was <laughs> your suggestion because of your recent experience with uh, mini art and uh I, I followed the suggestion and it worked out beautifully. So thank you. Now she was she was seeking discounts off the asking price, but my antique shopping mother would always say, "If you don't ask, you don't get." That's true. That's so that, true. So there you go. She's right. Well, Dave, we are at the bloody end of this episode. Yes, we are. As they always say, Dave, so many kits, so little time, Mike. I'll see you next time. All right, man. Take it easy. Have a good. Good modeling week. You got it. You too.